September 24th, 2021 marks 30 years since the U.S. releases. I say U.S. releases just in case there were earlier releases in the in the UK or in Europe. Sometimes that happens, but September 24th, 2021 marks 30 years of the following three albums. Nirvana's Nevermind, Tribe Called Quest, The Low End Theory, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Three albums that pretty much define those artists' legacies. A lot of people say this was the biggest day of music. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to see what we think. We're going to go through the rest of 1991 because all these albums turned 30 this year and we either miss them or they have anniversaries coming up. Hope you enjoy the episode. year for music i really hope you can ask me where i was in 1991 you're probably in your cousin mark's car right like you were uh, all the other <laughs> albums that came out um i was three years old and i was definitely in my cousin mark's car you were listening two years old. you were two years old i was born in 89 yeah so you were two good call my 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 uh my whole thing with 91 and music is i think a lot of people know how how big of a year this was and how big of a year 89 was for music Yes. Caring so much for music, I always found that being born in 90 was like a misfortune. Like the albums that came out in 90 are nowhere near as good as 89 or 91. Oof, really? They're, they're, not, they're not that good. These albums really, this year, 91 was big for music. It's huge. I like, I like going through the list, just 50 plus like another 20. It's an explosive year. I had no idea, but there, like, I don't want to jump into it right away. But there's such a trend in what came out. Like the the, it's crazy because last week we spoke about the year of Woodstock '99 and how the music had changed and like all those artists kind of kind of was like it was that new metal, right? Right. And now talking about all this stuff that came out in '91 and that grudge metal long hair tight ass jeans ripped in the knees checkered uh, shirts yeah like very tight shirts but like with holes in the bottom mm-hmm. like your shoes look like you've been wearing them for the last 40 years they're typically boots that you were wearing if you were wearing all that stuff right yeah it's it's there's a big trend but it, it was it's huge like look like I'm going through the list right now and it's very, very mind blowing. Like I had no idea. I'm sorry, I'm gonna throw it right away. Cannibal Corpse was making music in ninety one. Of all the of all the big names to mention. Well Cannibal Corpse with Cannibal Corpse. The, the album was called Butchered at Birth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I doubt you could come out with an album in twenty twenty one called Butcher at birth. birth. Uh, yeah. If you're cannibal corpse, you can. Probably, yeah. They, they have. Uh, it caters to that audience. Uh, 
I, I don't want to just go through the year and be like, in January, this came out. In February, this came out. Here are the songs on Nevermind, like we've done in previous anniversaries. Let's just fucking talk about it. Let's just talk about 91. Like, what are the first things that come to mind when you see these? So, okay, this could be fun. We don't have a, we don't have a template for this episode. So when you look at this, and I'm going to ask you first, because I think the music that I enjoyed from 91 had more of an impact long-term. So I'll answer it after you, but take it away with when you look at the releases in 91, being somebody who discovered these albums much later, what do you take away from this? Where was music at this point? Where was hip hop at this point rather? You know what? Hip hop maybe wasn't as strong, but there were definitely gems though. Like hip hop was 91 was like a, like a turning point. Mm -hmm. It was probably the last, I would say, not not that golden era of the early 80s, but there was like that transformation. Hip-hop started... Hip-hop started to become more... How do I say this? Not gangster hip-hop, but more angry. I I was going to say more street, if you will. More street. Not that it wasn't before, but I'm saying the... Uh, it was more. It, start, it was starting to take a, a, an aggression. Yeah, anger, aggression. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was artists coming out more from the West Coast as well, yeah. getting more uh, like the spotlight on them. Like I'm gonna go through. Like I'm gonna shoot out some 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 titles, and these albums were not in top fifties, top twenties, top twenty fives because of the other genre uh, of music, the rock, the metal that kind of surpassed all these these albums you're saying uh, you're talking about top 25s of of lists that list of out there of the best albums from 1991 that's it okay because they are on top hip-hop lists yes but when you look at 91 as a genre these albums should be in there and you mentioned it before when we were talking like take for take for for instance death certificate by ice cube yeah that's probably my favorite Ice Cube album and probably one of my favorite West West Coast albums of all time. I agree. Strongly agree. And this is not on big lists. But anyways, we're not we're not here for lists. We're here for what came out. Uh DJ Quick, Quick is the name. Yeah. That really brought something different to the table at that time. That was of an album what, we listened to a lot when we did our season one, figuring out which DJ Quick album should be on our list. It wasn't this one. No, it wasn't this one. But uh, but just the production of that album and what it did later on for West Coast music. Mm. Uh, Ghetto Boys, We Can't Be Stopped. Such horrendous language and such violence. And I don't want to say horror hip-hop, but like almost like that. It kind of was like listening to a horror movie. What's really funny is this is like a, this is exactly the line you can already draw in the three first albums that you mentioned. If you put Ghetto Boys and you put DJ Quick in the middle and Ice Cube's Death Certificate right beside them. That's how vast... See, if, if you would listen to those three records back to back, it almost sounds like a progression of time. Whereas the Ghetto Boys are still sounding very boom bap. Yeah, DJ Quick is using a lot of the G-Funk stuff. It's a little bit more ahead of its time. And then Death Certificate is like next level 
step up production out of this world, just a complete finished product. Yeah, of course. The, the variety between the hip hop is incredible right now. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going to shoot out. There is Delta Funky Homo Sapien. I wish my brother George was here. Yeah. Uh, An album that, believe it or not, I've never heard in full. Really? It's very lengthy. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't mind Dell. I'm not a fan of Dell, to be honest. But it was very backpack hip hop, backpacker hip hop. Dell is noticeable as like that underground MC. And for him coming out at that time, you, you definitely his album was surpassed. But he's a, this is a huge underground hip hop album. Uh, I'm going to give you Tupac's first album, Tupacalypse Now, KMD, Mr. Hood, uh, Cypress Hill's first album, Slick Rick, The Ruler's Back. I don't want to go like Jizz's first album, but like the other big, big, big ones, like Main Source, Breaking Adams. Incredible record. Incredible fucking record. Fucking Nas. It's for Nas. You hear Nas for the first time on there. Yep. It's crazy because this album is a huge staple in in New York hip hop. Main source, Breaking Adams. Yeah, and it's not even from New York. Exactly. Exactly. It's from Toronto. And that sound—it's like who would ever think they would listen, be listening to Main Source, right. and it would sound so New York. And so what it good, did for how it influenced New York hip hop in yeah, 1991. Is fucking that. People are people still sleep on that album. If you want to know my opinion, of course, of course. By the way, I still don't own that on CD for some odd reason, or maybe I do, but I don't I have that do. on CD. I think I forced you to buy that. I know I uh, lent it to you, but I, yeah, I I really made it a point that you needed to own that. I don't think I own it. I don't. Yes, I don't own it, and the reason why is because there's two versions, and I want the original version because the second version is the digipack or something like that. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think it was there. But anyways, one way or another. Uh, De La Soul. De La Soul is dead. For a long time, that was my favorite De La Soul album. But now it's the one before, obviously. Yeah, Three Feet High is Three Feet High. But like it, Three Feet High is the whole legacy. I find a lot of people... Uh, they, they um, Three Feet High and Rising seems to really be their like the go-to, their legacy, whatever, whatever. But they haven't, they didn't really ever put out a bad album, so to speak. There are less good albums, but Dilla Soul is Dead is very close second to Three Feet High. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. Can you explain to why the album is called Dilla Soul is Dead, please? Well, A lot was, of people it, don't. And it was a big shock to me when I first, a couple of years ago, when I first watched the documentary on the album title and why. So you're putting me a bit on the spot because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going off what I think or what I remember having heard. So you might have to correct me here. But it had so much to do with the criticism that they took for being different on the first album, for being uh, hippies, for being like, for not, for not um, appearing as a hip hop artist at the time should appear, quote unquote. You're right. Absolutely that, right. That was it, right? Yeah. 110%. You put, you put me on the spot because I I remember having heard that, but I didn't know if I was going to... You're right. Shit that, for a second. 
you're not full of shit. You know them more than me, and you've pushed them on to me. Because I like the later albums. I've always said that. And They're great albums. The later stuff is fantastic. I got into them on the later albums. Ooh, with Redman was the first thing I heard from them. That's on uh, the album that it's like 100 bucks now because it's fucking discontinued. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Public Enemy Apocalypse 91. Their first non-classic? Or would you put this in the classic category? It's very popular. Yeah, I don't own this one. Me either. Just, you, I just you have the first three. I have the. I just have the other two. I never was really actually. I have the he got game soundtrack. Don't ask why, because I really like that one. But mm-hmm. there's too much to buy from uh, like artists like that. It's also this. It's it's it demands so much when you listen to a Public Enemy album. If I have to listen to them, I'm going to listen to. It takes a nation and fear of a black planet. Good songs on this, though, if I'm, I'm looking at the track list. Um, and probably the biggest, biggest, biggest release in hip-hop of that year, the the turning of the tide, the probably top 10 most influential hip-hop albums of all time, quote-unquote, to Pharrell Williams. Uh, the Low End Theory by A Tribe Called Quest. So, quote-unquote, where do you stand on that? As most influential? Like, top 10? Or my liking to this album? I know I know. in your liking, you wouldn't be in your 10, I don't think. And we've expressed no. how we both feel that Midnight Marauders is a better album. Yeah, but I think this has to be uh, probably most influential. I'm not going to take right. that away from this album. It's because... Yeah. Uh, people's in uh, I, I'm horrendous with the, the first album, the title, the, it's too long for me to say. But yeah. their first, uh, their first album was very uh, it was hip hop, right? Uh, it was catchy hip hop, it was kind of like a, on the along the lines of the De La Soul, uh, yeah, the first De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. But what they did with the low end theory was really present themselves as being different uh pushing the bar being pushing the limits to what hip-hop was sounding and we, i named a, a bunch of albums right yeah there's a there's a lot of political albums in in these albums i mentioned you know like the ice cube the the, the public enemy um the, the 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 new york sounding street hip-hop that was in here the dj quick west coast but they really push the bar on how they 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 presented themselves on this album they stepped up their game from their first album they were better mcs better producers uh just the whole concept of that album and also like the i don't want to bring him into this but like just how they used Busta rhymes on this yeah there's so much on this that is just so well put together and because they came out with this album, they were able to make Midnight Marauders, and Midnight Marauders was just again another step up from Low End Theory. That's the way I see it. I, I agree with you. I always found that Midnight Marauders was the better album, but I see why this is the most influential. And it's also one of those albums that I think you had to be there to totally get it. You know, like we talk about Illmatic, and does Illmatic hit as hard as it does today as it did back then? You had to be there. Mm-hmm. This kind of has that because because the production and the the, the hooks and and 
I'd say even as far as the rapping on Midnight Marauders is superior to this in a way. They continue to evolve after this. But the step up from this to the first record, from Low in Theory to the first record, is significantly, uh, it's a significant improvement. They, 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 just a documentary, right? We have the documentary. I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah. I might watch it. Just uh, what was coming out and what this really made them shine a light on is really what made this album popular and just bridging the gap between hip hop and jazz. You know, there's so much elements in here that is still used to this day and influence guys like Pharrell. And, you know, I know that uh, he was part of leaders of the new school, but would you say that this was almost low in theory did to Buster Rhymes the same, what not a main source did to Nas? They were just pushing an artist. Like it propelled his career in a way. People wanted more of this guy after that verse. If if Buster Rhymes wasn't on scenario, Buster Rhymes wouldn't be where he is. You'd, you'd go as far as saying that, yeah? Of course, because who was really paying attention to Buster Rhymes? Who's this guy on this song that is standing out? Well, no, I, got it, got it. You know yeah, what I mean? It makes like, sense, yeah, yeah. And the way scenario, Steve, is, another, again, another huge influential track in hip-hop yeah just at the way Busta Rhymes comes onto the track you know you got Fife you got you got Quest uh Quest you got fucking uh why am I trying a blank I'm not gonna help you <laughs> uh Q-tip I don't know like you you got all this stuff on there and you it just kind of is a perfect track in hip-hop this is what a hip-hop it track is, should sound for like for sure for sure you know, you're having sure, a featured well, yeah. guest and it's just explosive and you don't know who the fuck Buster Rhymes is. Unless you're listening to Leaders of the New School, which right. people from Montreal, like me and you, probably at that point, if we were that age, we probably wouldn't be. But anyways. But but all the features on this track are, are guys from Leader of the New School, Charlie Brown, yeah. Dinko D, right? Yeah. Who went absolutely nowhere after this, but anyways. Well, it's uh, like, I mean, Buster Rhymes is... In all the groups that Buster Rhymes worked with, he was ahead of himself. And, and like, well, did anyone else out of flip mode ever make it? Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, Rod Digger. Right. <laughs> Rod Rampage, Digger. Rampage, maybe a bit. Rampage has uh, an album, one, one album, The Last Boy Scout. But he didn't really. When we say big, it's like club anthems. You no, know, nobody made it out big. No, no, I'm saying, uh, yeah, no, Rampage is clearly not big, but yeah, Rod Digger, I guess. Low End Theory is just so, so influential and such a difference in hip-hop mm -hmm. to what was coming out and what happened later on. That's why also Midnight Marauders was huge. Yeah. Because of what was coming out and where hip-hop was taking a, a turn in, you said streak, you said all this stuff. So it, it, it it's a different, it's like... A clear, you have a clear sound, you have a clear image, you have a, something different happening. So that's why you're getting attracted to it, and people really grew from this album. I wish yeah. I was there when this came out. I wish I was fucking 10, 15 years old, whatever, going to the store and buying this album. Because I think it would be, do big for like what big albums do for us now. Right. On the rock side, um, as you said, it was a lot of the grunge movement taking over 
the alternative. I mean, almost like it, it took over alternative radio in 91 before, before this grunge was truly alternative and not mainstream, but this was, um, this was the, 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 probably the year that grunge sold out. If you want to see it that way. Um, you mentioned the album temple of the dog. Yes. And that came out in April of this year. So early this year, if, I mean, I would want to assume that people know who temple of the dog is by now. It's a super group of sorts, but it wasn't intended to really be a super group uh, that featured the later members of Pearl Jam, or they were already. Pearl Jam hadn't released an album so far. Yeah, but yeah, so they were later on Pearl Jam. Right. So the there's a, there was a band that was essential to the to the grunge movement called Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone had one album called Apple. Members of Pearl Jam were in that band: Jeff Ament and Stone Gossard. Andrew Wood, their lead singer, died a couple of years before this, I'm going to say, in 90, the year before this. So Mother, uh, so um, Temple of the Dog was a tribute album to him. Mm-hmm. So you had basically Jeff Ament, Matt Cameron, uh, Matt Cameron, who is now with Pearl Jam, but was then with Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, who from Soundgarden always, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam and Mike McCready from Pearl Jam, all on as the main band, so to speak, with Eddie Vedder contributing background vocals to a handful of songs. But that that's what launched Pearl Jam into being Pearl Jam, and 10 came out later this year. Pearl Jam's 10 came out in August of 91 and was actually recorded in one month from March to April of 91. So after... Temple of the Dog was complete. Pearl Jam was really a product of Temple of the Dog. Something that the band members wanted to experiment more with. Eddie Vedder, of course. And 10 uh, has a legacy of its own. Uh, It's a fantastic rock record. I mean, you can't say anything wrong about 10. Well, we're talking about 91. We talked about Low and Theory, but look at what Pearl Jam did for the music scene with 10. In October of 91, just to put an end to these bands and how big they were, Soundgarden released Bad Motorfinger, which was their uh, first grade album, I'd say. I don't think early Soundgarden was too, too good, but Bad Motorfinger was the first one. This is the one that had uh, Outshined, Rusty Cage, Jesus Christ Pose. It was a big uh, breakthrough for them, let's say. It was still very, like, almost metal. It was very chugga fucking grunge it wasn't the pearl jam type of grunge let's say very dark huh that like right. sound garden was very dark the pixies put out trompe le monde this year this was like a lesser known pixies album it wasn't something that pierced uh, and it and it's a really underrated album there's a lot of rock albums man i could i could do this for can i throw one out sure I, but I just, I never heard this one. This is one album I never heard. Smashing Pumpkins, Gish. Yeah, it, 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 it's uh, it's an essential in their catalog. But if I'm being honest, like Siamese Dream and Melancholy really were the big Smashing Pumpkins album. But it, but it is a good way to say like Smashing Pumpkins were always kind of like the outcasts in the, in the, in the, in the grunge scene and that they weren't, you know, 
they weren't all the way grunge. They kind of tied a, a lot of their metal and punk influences into their music. They were from Chicago, not from, well, Vedder was from Chicago, but they were from Chicago and not from Seattle. It, it, they, they weren't really part of, they were kind of like beside the grunge scene, working in parallel with it, if you get what I'm saying. Man, these album titles are horrendous <laughs> for some of these. I'm sorry, because I, I, I'm, I'm looking at like, like, like those bands, and that's just so much big names came out. Like, look at even that. There's even Primus. Oh yeah, with Primus. I mean, sailing the seas of cheese. No one really feel. I, I don't really feel like talking about Primus. No, we don't have to. I just needed to say that they came out as well. Like, yeah. But but continue with with. with uh, so with... so let's now talk about the two big albums from September 24th that turned 30 today. We're going to leave the big one for last. We're going to start with Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Whoa. I didn't think you were going in that direction, but okay. Uh, I mean, it's not really related to grunge at all. No. But this was pretty much just like the other artists that we mentioned, the Chili Peppers legacy in one album. For people that aren't Chili Pepper fans, this is the one we give it away with Under the Bridge. Soul to Squeeze came from these sessions. Suck My Kisses on this. Breaking the Girl. This was the their classic album, so to speak. The one that everyone seems to agree is great. Yeah. Right? It's the first time they work with Ruben in the Hollywood mansion. It's the first time they polish their sound up. They still got that funk and Anthony's still rapping, but it's finally a more polished product that they put out that funk though on this album besides the singles and the songs like you name there's and i remember i was with po because my uh, my tattoo artist is a huge fan of this album and listening to it and what stuck out to me and it still sticks out to me and which what i like so much of this album and then i like when they bring these elements later on in the years is that funk is that bass you hear the bass they they stuck more to a specific sound here and drove the and drove it as far as they could. The previous Chili Pepper albums and I and I from their original lineup, the few changes that they had within the first three albums, and then Mother's Milk when John Frusciante joins the band, they're still trying to figure it out. The, 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 from one song to the other, you're still not getting a, a very cohesive piece of work. It works if you're a fan, sure. But from a point of view of somebody, and if you were to just ask most people to review those albums right now, they're not, they don't hold up too well. This is the first time where they kind of commit to, a, it's not a concept, but they commit to a sound. They commit to a, a, um, making a product, so to speak. I find it's probably, it's not my favorite Chili Pepper record, but I see why people think this is their best one. Uh, I mean, just the way it opens, Power of Equality, into if you have to ask, two of their best, two of my favorite Chili Pepper songs right there. Breaking the Girl, Funky Monks, again, like that, it, it, it just, it was a signature. It set the Chili Pepper sound in stone, if you will. Going forward, this is what everyone compares, or this is what... Going forward, this is what everyone expects the Chili Peppers to sound like. Whether you like it, this is what you're looking for. Whether you're making fun of it, this is what you're making fun of. 
this is it. I, I want to bring, I want to say something and I want you to elaborate on it. Just the way the album starts. The power of equality. That's an insane way to start your album. And that, I've that, always, I've always, sorry, Steve, I've always, and that's something that stuck out with me with this album is that the beginning of the album, that first drop is. Yeah. yeah it's like that kind of like it, you hear it kind of like it's being played from a tape and then it, it, it jumps in. Right. I love that. I fucking love that. Even more than that, it's the transition from the outro into If You Have to Ask. It just yeah. flows right in. But Power of Equality is 100%. I mean, he says it right in the song. I got tapes. I've got CDs. I got my public enemy. It's straight public enemy influence, like right in front of you. This is something that the Chili Peppers have always been. And for a lot of people getting into music, Chili Peppers are an excellent gateway because they're so vocal about who they're inspired by, who they're influenced by, who they're, what they're listening to when they create the album. Like, man, we're getting off topic from 91, but like when John was talking about his sessions of Stadium Arcadium, he was in a crazy Wu-Tang phase. Yeah. If I, That's if what I, made me yeah. listen to that album. That's what made me listen to 36 Chambers, to Old Dirty Bastard. Like, these guys are always, always, and as much as you hate them, as much as you love them, they pay homage to all the music they love. Unlike any other band, I find. They've been together for so long, and they've gone through different guitarists and bassists, right? Please correct me if I'm wrong. Bassists, no. No, but yeah, just guitarists, guitarists right? Oh, really? Drummers? I had no idea. I had yeah. zero idea. Chad Smith joined with Frusciante in 89. In okay. 88. These guys are just down toward guys and just... They're like that band that just gets together and plays music. Look at when they do concerts. That's Look exactly at, what it is. You know, like they, they'll do, they'll just do sessions and they'll just like play this and they'll just go into a groove and that's what their music sounds like. And that's why when people play chili look chili peppers to me is a band that you could put on and i'll fucking listen i'll never tell you to take this shit off ever because it's so well put together and well it's it's like i'm listening to i'm like in a jam session when I, i'm listening I, yeah, to them. I totally i yeah that's their vibe and i find that this is also the thing is it's like a lot of people who rip them or who don't like them like yeah okay anthony's not a great singer whatever flea slaps only slaps the bass or it's very redundant sounding music but what you just said is key to that whole thing is it's musicianship they're more of a musician's band somebody who could see past the vocals and just understand how the three instruments are playing amongst one another right exactly it's great that you're able to see that i find and i'm not saying that the chili peppers are deeper than most people can that's not at all what i'm saying they get a lot of flack for what they do if you take out their vocals to all their songs there aren't many bad ones. I mean that. I, I don't get why people just shit on his vocals. They're not great. They're redundant. Yeah, but, he sings about the same shit. He's not very inspired. Okay. But, you know, but regardless, I mean. The music sounds good. His voice fucking, sounds good. Like, don't tell me fucking Bono's inspired. No. Anyway. I, but we we could. By the way, they came out with an album too. That baby, a big album, <laughs> yeah. very big album. Yeah. But just just to wrap up on Blood Sugar Sex Magic because it's not the biggest album here. It, it's a lot better than people say it is. This is. It's a great fucking record. This. 
yeah, and I totally agree with you. And just that Rick Rubin, that 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 Rick Rubin influence, that Rick Rubin influence on this album, you could hear it. If you if ever you if ever you're wondering like where, so John left shortly after this album. This is when they replaced him with a bunch of guys before settling on Dave Navarro for the next album. In between time, there were a lot of songs from these sessions, like Soul to Squeeze that was put on the Conehead soundtrack, Sick of Making Nico that, that was on the Wayne's World soundtrack. There were a lot of songs from these sessions that never made, that never got an official release that ended up being like some fan favorites. Yet somehow there's no deluxe version of this record that gives you like the sessions, the outtakes, the B-sides. Like this is the fucking album to release if you want to do that. So if you don't want to add anything, I'll be, I guess we'll go on to the biggest album of all time next. Of uh, all time? One of them. One of them easily. Top yeah. five all time? Top ten all time? Not. I'm not saying for you or for me, but would you say this is one of the five or ten records that change? It definitely, it most definitely changed music forever. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely, and let, let's just make something clear before we continue. And I'd like I was I was I was excited to say this. If you put me on an album cover at two years old, floating in water, Maybe but naked, two years old there. but naked, I ain't complaining. Thirty years after, twenty years after, fifty years after, I'm fucking excited to be on a groundbreaking album. Fucking this changing of the culture, whatever the hell you want to call it. Fuck that! I ain't complaining. I'm excited to have see myself naked in a pool on a record. The fuck you see that face for the rest of your life, goddammit. And that guy, that one of the band members, he's dead. Fuck. <laughs> fuck, you're still on that cover. You ain't going nowhere. So we're talking about Nevermind, of course. Nirvana's Nevermind. Uh, also, the, the the 3rd September 24th release, probably the biggest one. Look at this, man. Smells Like Teen Spirit came out as a single. Now, I don't know if this is the like as a signal to radio or if this is as a single, because back then they had the, the, the actual physical singles. September 10th. So 14 days, two weeks before this. Wow. How quick did this song do? And and we're gonna be I'm gonna be straight with you. I didn't do research for this. I wanna do everything like live as, as we're recording this. Live and uncut. This album charted like crazy upon release. Quickly, huh? Yeah. 91 to 92, like it, well, it peaked everywhere around pretty much at number one, two, or three on Billboard charts. But it's really impressive how well this album continues to do. Oh, in, to 2015, in 2015, it peaked at number 11 in Poland. In Jesus. 2019, it peaked at number 12 in Belgium, peaked at number 16 in the US in 2019. Yeah, 2021 US top rock albums Billboard number nine this year. What's number one? Uh, I don't know. I don't have that on me, but uh, <laughs> but it, that's that's impressive. Only because it turns 30. 
it, it peaks at number nine. Wait till Friday. That'd be really impressive. I think that would pretty much set me into saying yes. Absolutely top five most important albums ever. To be frank, I don't even need it to do that. I think this is like top five most important albums ever for what it did to alternative music. Straight up. This was a guy who came and like everything I say is after the fact like I grew up discovering this these bands for myself but Pixies influenced this guy, R.E.M. influenced this guy, Black Flag, uh, the Melvins, who were on uh, the Melvins, I think, uh, no, Mud Honey was on Sub Pop, but the Melvins may have been on Sub Pop. Anyway, the bands that this guy was inspired by had no business near a music chart. Sonic Youth had no yeah. business near a music chart. I was just chart. about to say Sonic Youth, yeah. The impact that this album had. It's like, I'm trying to compare, I'm trying to think of something as as massive and to, by today's standards, there's none. There's none. It would be as if like, no joke, like underground hip hop, somebody made a hit that just pierced and said underground hip hop to the mainstream. Good point. Good, yeah. Good this reference. music actually. had no business anywhere on a chart. No. Yeah, the hooks were catchy, but like just from the first album, uh, I'm looking for the title in my head Bleach. Bleach. Bleach, yes. First album called Bleach. The one that sounded, it was just noise. Yeah. Static. That's it. It's fucking loud. It's aggressive. It's. I don't uh, understand that word he's saying. And when, when we talked about Tribe Called Quest, I said the step up from the previous album helped that album solidify their legacy. The step up from Nevermind, uh, uh, from Bleach to Nevermind is radical. It's not the same band. Yeah, but Steve, we spoke about this in the past. Look at the production. Bochvig from uh, Garbage. You know, like, and he did other stuff as well. Yeah, he was hot at this point. His studio was hot at this point. People wanted to record with this guy. So you get a band like like Nirvana, very underground, very right. loud, very music that people don't just love the noise of it. They don't really care about anything else but the noise of it. And it's just, it's, you're cool to listen to Nirvana because you're the odd person out in your high school. It's it's funny you say that because the production Gish from Smashing Pumpkins was also produced by him. He also that's crazy. Their, he also did Siamese Dream after that for because now he was solidified. So ninety three, the big Smashing Pumpkins album was also done by Butch Vig. But we said Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth put out. Um, my God, I'm drawing blanks like crazy this uh, this episode. Sonic Youth put out Goo. In 90. In 92, when they put out Dirty, they went to Butchvig. Oh, really? Yeah. Because they wanted like that. I mean, Goo, Goo did pretty well, I think. over Even over time, it did pretty well. But it's just cool to see that they even tried to pierce more. They even tried to go further um, into, I don't want to say the mainstream, but yeah, into the mainstream, into something more accessible. 
something that was hot at the time, something that Sonic Youth did, never cared for. Being again, it's the underground, you know, it's the underground music that you're kind of the odd guy out that's listening to this. But this, I wouldn't say Nevermind made that scene popular because look at the other bands that came out that year, and but they kind of brought they pushed it more into the mainstream yeah and what what ended up happening as a result of this well it happened earlier in the year too because of the whole grunge thing but a lot of like lesser known bands i speak a lot about dinosaur jr they put out their third album their uh, their fourth album uh, green mind in 91 with a major label labels wanted to secure these acts in the event that they would also break out like some of these artists were doing or were expected to do coming up. So a lot of major label deals were distributed to people who failed on major labels, pretty much. This this album, though, I've, t- I've spoken to a lot of Nirvana fans. It's not their favorite. No, nope. a lot of people, it's not their favorite. Like, but I know why. You could tell why, because it's the most popular one. And that's what people that don't know Nirvana or want to get into Nirvana will gravitate towards, which is fine. Because it is popular, it is groundbreaking. But yeah. knowing that somebody like Kurt Cobain, and we probably didn't speak about him at all, Kurt Cobain didn't, didn't like say this. Anybody's name. We, we're going to. Okay, band members at this time, at this given time, recording this album. So this is the first one. Uh, this is the first record with Dave Grohl on drums. Yep. Uh, Kurt Cobain and Chris Novoselic. Okay. Never changed. Kurt Kurt Cobain didn't like this album, and I think he didn't like it because of the popularity he was receiving. He didn't like the outcome of it. He didn't like the the the. He didn't dislike the songs on the album. He disliked the fame that came with the release of it. Did you hear otherwise? You re- you read about Kurt Cobain, you get different s- stories left and right. It makes no sense at some point. But he he didn't like playing most of these songs live. Oh, because of the popularity that they, yeah, they, and they that, gained. It wasn't his intention. And people, yeah, and people wanted to just hear this. And he would play these songs like shit or play them half-ass. Yes, that, that I've heard. Yes. So, because I remember in high school, I read a lot about Kurt Cobain. I read his biography. I read that was into Nirvana for a, not a long period of time, but a short period of time where I was going through their albums. And then it came back to me later on. I tried reading that book and I, I, I didn't, uh, I had to stop. Well, there's the documentary. Uh, there's the live. I've seen live, many live horrendous live mm. DVDs and Blu-rays that would come out just to make money because live, the sound is just... Yeah, it was, ter- it was terrible. Horrific to the ears. But uh, the, the book was actually what turned me off about Nirvana. Oh, really? Yeah, I, like I, I had to stop because I found that I wasn't no longer liking him. Okay. I found myself to really not relate or, or, or approve of some of the things that... Uh, he spoke uh, he spoke so openly about very openly about 
just also the style, the way he was dressed was very popular at that point. The short sleeve with the long sleeve under the very light, very light ripped blue jeans. I, I have to add it because we're talking about that scene. We're talking about 91. That's how people were dressing. You know, my favorite part of last week's episode is when you said that people listening to Limp Biscuit wore big shoes. <laughs> I, I, I was editing the episode and every time it would come, I'm not kidding. You had fucking laugh. I'm happy that I make you laugh. Uh, so that was, that was a huge day. Uh, Probably the biggest one in music. One of the biggest. I can't say it's the biggest one, but it's a huge year. It's pretty big. Yeah, like, I, I don't have much else to say about Nirvana, about Nevermind. No, me neither. I, did you know Guns N' Roses came out with Use, Use Your, Your Illusion? Illusion 1 and 2 in 91? But okay, so popular rock, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, Guns N' Roses. Did you, did you end up re-listening to them? No, I didn't. I didn't. But I, okay. I, I feel like it when I get into a, a stupid mood. Uh, U2 Acting Baby, mm-hmm. big album. Uh, the Fly, Mysterious Ways One is on that. Uh, probably my favorite if I had to choose U2 album, but I don't own any U2 albums because you don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it. Uh, REM, Out of Time, very yeah. important for popular music because we just said again the bands that influenced Nirvana, REM is on that list. Before this, they were just uh, like a tiny little artsy, I guess you could call it punk-inspired alternative band from uh, Athens, Georgia, a whole scene that was going on on its own. And this album, Losing My Religion, it kind of launched them into... an. Uh, uh, they had already kind of started shifting towards uh, lighter sounds and, and, and more accessible uh, music on their 88 album, Green. Losing My Religion was on this album. Shiny Happy People was on this album. This was like an attempt of sorts for them to go into the mainstream. And after this, Automatic for the People, the big album in 92 that they put out. That's that's another place that popular music was at. A big album that you keep talking to me about and that I went to listen to. And I listened to it for you. Uh, my Bloody Valentine, Loveless. Yeah, how'd you like that? Uh... <laughs> You tell it's, me about Loveless. Like, fuck. I wanted to blow my brains out after the first song, if I'm being super honest. I, it was, it's not for me. I like, I'll be honest with you. Like, I can't tell you anything about that album. I just didn't, it didn't dwell with me. It, was, it's, it wasn't for me. If there's, out of all the artists on here that like the Pearl Jam, the Guns N' Roses, the Nirvana, Soundgarden, it's the least favorite for me. Loveless is the finest musical soundscapes on record, probably since Brian Eno. Can you elaborate? It's not music that is going to grab your attention through a hook or through a, a, a particular way that the song is written. It's a fucking wall of noise. It's like being slapped in the face with sound. Mm-hmm. And as ridiculous as that is, and as pretentious as it is, because it is, there were so many, or not so many shoegaze bands, but there were a, a variety of shoegaze bands around this time. 
this defined a genre of music as a whole, a very niche genre of music, shoegaze, which is now, I mean, it's a term that's tossed around and it's generalized and it's whatever. But if you say that word to somebody, that artwork, the loveless artwork, the 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 foggy like guitar with the like the the you could see like the hand motion of going up and down it's the first image that comes to mind for me when i hear the word shoegaze and the and some of the great the better shoegaze albums came after this slow dive put out an album this year but suvlaki came in 93 that's their big album so to some extent it also kind of forced shoegaze bands to step out of the box a bit because if not more noise more noise right there you go they and and after this album they disappeared the other thing that's very important here and you also have to remember is when this album came out in 91 and how people were towards music back then they put this out in november in early november once nirvana sold out the alternative crowd needed something more alternative that contributed to the success i think that's what i was waiting for something to happen in the album do you you know what i mean it's like there was nothing more to it you said it it's noise it's noise it's fancy noise i'll be i'll be honest as a fan of this album it's fancy noise yes this album does a lot better when you're in a specific mood or mind state or whatever that just allows you to enjoy it more there's a time and place for all music in my opinion we said this before is there other albums you want to talk on or just throw out there that's huge, like uh, Fishbone? No, a couple of other ones uh, that were really good. Teenage Fan Club, Bandwagon-esque is a fantastic, uh, fantastic alt-rock. I hate fucking using the alt-rock as a, but, you know, you get it. Slint, Spiderland, massive, massive, uh, I'm using air quotes, indie success. Being frank, Slint, Spiderland was never really for me, but people love that record. Primal Scream, Screamadelica. And so Primal Scream, Screamadelica and Pixies Trompe le Monde came out on September 23rd in the US or, or in Canada and 24th in the US or vice versa anyway. So it kind of takes part in that week. Screamadelica marked Primal Scream's legacy. I mean... There's nothing else to Primal Scream. Uh, what else? Massive Attack, Blue Lines, I guess we can mention. It was a big album. Talk Talk, Laughing Stock. Fantastic record. Metallica's Black Album. We went through a whole episode without mentioning Metallica's Black Album. We were talking about popular rock. This is their. This is the album that launched them into. Yeah. Right? Green Bay. A Green Bay. Green Day. <laughs> Kerplunk. That's their this first area, one, right? Fugazi. Yeah. Steady Died of Nothing, their worst album, but there is no bad Fugazi album, so it's worth mentioning. Metallica's Black album. Can we can we take a minute on that because it's Go massive. For it. it is huge. It's 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 been on lists that I've seen for ninety one. But it's Metallica. It's it's the that again. See there. This was Enter Sandman, right? This would Enter Sandman. This one has the Unforgiven. Nothing else matters. Uh, Sad okay, but yeah. True was on this. But this is one, another one of those albums that divided the fan base. They're too popular now for me. Is, that, is, is this your favorite Metallica album? Steve, I could give a fuck for Metallica. <laughs> if you want me to say it on the record. 
I, I do like, uh, to be fair, no, 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 I, 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 I exaggerated that answer. I think uh, I pushed Metallica to the side because of my opinions on this album. But when they re-released Kill Em All and um, Ride the Lightning, I put Kill Em All on upstairs while we were working at uh, in the in the metal section. I was like, let me see. Let me just I'm playing this from front to back. And I was like, oh, fuck. This is actually... It's not like it's not something I needed to own. No, but I actually had a minute of saying like, "Okay, I get it," and I instantly also understood why the fan base was divided, as I just said. Oh, really? It was so because thrash. Of... It was so yeah, yeah, high yeah, yeah, energy. yeah. It, it, it like it, it sounded like um, it sounded honestly like a more watered down Motorhead. So I had it had my interest. Motorhead came out an album this year too, right? 91? Motorhead's album uh, is called 1916, the one from 91, and it seems to be something that uh, was actually quite good. So you're going to go listen to it now? No, <laughs> not in the mood. Uh, Sepultura came out an album. I could keep going huh, if you want, uh, which is very, very, like it's number six on a list. Yeah, yeah, people really like, especially that record. Entombed, uh, arise. Huh. Entombed. I have no idea what the hell that is. Mr. Bungle. Yeah. I know Another you don't band like, that uh, has a time and place. Hole. Uh, pretty on the inside. It was a huge year, and it, it was, was massive. Uh, so, ooh, look at this infectious grooves. The plague that make makes your booty move. It's infectious grooves. That's good. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's an album. It's an album that came out by the Infectious Grooves. So let's do our top five. I have no other albums I want to talk that about. Band, that band is actually, funny that you say, had members of Metallica. Robert Trujillo's that was in that band. Mike Muir from um, Suicidal Tendencies. It was a side project. The plague that really? makes your booty move. It's the Infectious Grooves. Yeah. I'm not kidding with and something wait hold on we're discovering something right now hold on this is interesting Ozzy Osbourne has vocals on this album Steve Perkins from uh, Jane's Addiction has drums on this album Dave Kushner plays on this album from uh, Velvet Revolver that band oh love can we say that Velvet Revolver's first album was it the first Oh yeah, an absolute classic. One for the masses. Uh, you want to do our top fives? Yeah, let's do our top five. But I'm just gonna say that Scott Wheeland is a rock star among rock stars. To end an episode where you spoke so highly about grunge, he's a, he's a controversial name to throw in there. You know, a lot of people didn't really approve of Stone Temple Pilots being part of the grunge scene. I don't understand why, but anyways, that's just blasphemy because of because of, of where they were from. So you had to be from Seattle, basically? More or less, yeah, let's say that. Question for you before we do our top five. Just one second, because you seemed annoyed by that, but uh, is that not common in hip-hop, where you're from? Uh, Yeah, but but there's people from the West, the East, the South, Midwest. There's a bunch of places you're from. But but there's credibility involved based on where you're from as well. Yes, yes, exactly. But yes, yeah, so yeah I, I, I could. Where were they from? Stone Temple Pilots, San Diego, California. 
good fucking albums they have. They did have great albums. I'll give you. You had a question. I can't remember what my question was. Oh, yes. Is there a documentary based on the grunge scene? No, but you can watch the movie Singles starring uh, Matt Dillon and Eddie Vedder. And uh, hold on. Really? Yeah, I don't think there is. I don't think there is. There's There's nothing on bands like Nirvana, uh, Pearl Jam. There's nothing based around. An altogether type of thing? Yeah, on the scene. Mm, not that a I know book uh, I don't know a tape that somebody talks about it like there has to be something this is a huge scene this really yeah, covered no, they, they all kind of have their own documentaries but I don't uh, I don't know of any grunge one okay uh, I'm gonna go find it and maybe tell the listeners to listen to it or watch it or whatever you want to say so top five okay so I'm gonna go with are you putting them in order for fun or no no I'm just gonna throw them out there and I'm not going to only go with hip-hop. Okay, so I'm going to go with uh, definitely Ice Cube uh, Death Certificate. Okay. For sure. I'm going to go with uh, Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm going to go with DJ Quick. Quick is the name. I am going to go <laughs> with a chart called Quest, The Low End Theory. Oh, am I at four? Mm-hmm. And I'm probably gonna go with oof, De La Soul. De La Soul is dead. Okay, yeah, but I, I had to throw in I had to throw in Chili Peppers in there. That's cool. I see why you did that. I'll go with number five, Pixies Trompe Le Monde. Mm-hmm. Number four, De La Soul. De La Soul is dead. Number three. Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Number two, Low in Theory. And number one, Loveless. So for all the listeners out there, you know what type of mood Steven is in with Loveless at number one. I mean, there's no other album that does what it does this well. Hey, you like what you like. You like what you like. For some reason, I thought Dr. Trader Chronic came out in 91, but it came out in 92. I was going to say, Jesus, did we forget something big? So next year, we'll do 92. Next year, we could do 1992. We should do this once a year. I like this big... Well, I like this grunge scene thing. I'm, I'm going to go look more into it. I would like 90, the documentary. trends. Of- fun. I saw the first things that I, that I just saw in 92. The best albums in 92 are very fun. So before we wrap up, uh, those are our top fives. We asked everyone what uh, your favorite album of 1991 was. So I'm going to go down the list. Yeah, are we saying whose name? Are we exposing people for their uh, for their taste or are we No, just, we're not uh, going to I'm just going to say what albums. I I just people I just asked for one and but a couple of people gave me 3 or 4. So okay. I'm going to go with uh Pearl Jam 10. Okay. Uh somebody wrote uh Apocalypse Now. Okay. I'm actually calling you out uh Fula podcast. Oh, uh, Apocalypse Now over Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah. Mass. Gish, Smashing Pumpkins. You know exactly who that is. Um, we got Rolling Stones, Flashpoint. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion. Uh, Blood, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Uh, Low End Theory. Uh, Road Apples. 
That's uh, wow. I'm drawing a blank. Road apples is uh, isn't that uh, fucking uh, the Canadian band? Tragically hip. Could be the Canadian band. Fuck, like we don't know what tragically hip is. (laughs) I couldn't find the name. It is. It is. Who wrote that? Uh, a Canadian a good, guy. Yeah, a good friend of mine from uh, that works at Vans. From Canada, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and your sister answered ten. Ten, 10 times. No, Green Mind, Blood Surgery, Sex Magic, The Low End Theory, Bad Mother Finger, Tombe Le Monde, and 10. So everything I said. Basically. But yeah, she, she was actually a, this. I mean, it, it explains it now, maybe. But that was actually the source for a lot of me hearing the, these albums for the first time. Well, I should look at their Instagram more because a bunch of people answer when I ask questions. I just don't get a notification, so I'm gonna look at that better because somebody answered of what they were listening to. Part, yeah, part of answer, part of asking the question is uh, getting the answer. Wow. That's amazing. Somebody wrote Deftones all day, every day. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Thank you for everybody that answered. I really yeah, appreciate yeah, yeah. that. It's great to have people uh, interested in uh, what we're doing. So now the only thing you need to do is listen to the episode. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. Hope you like the episode. Hope you like the year 91. And we'll do this a bit more. So yeah, give us more listens than we got on that Drake album, on that Drake episode, please. Yeah, because there's a lot of people really interested in Drake, but maybe not the other episodes. So instead of being a certified lover boy, just go listen to the rest of our episodes. Yeah, that'd be nice. All right, we'll maybe see each other next week, depending on how I feel. Hey, by the way, I'm on vacation next week, so maybe I could come over and we could do it in person and that have a beer cool, together. Yeah. That could be All cool, right. yeah. Let's, let's see go. if that could work. And you know, actually, what? Uh, yeah, that could work. Excellent. I was going to start having off-air conversations. All right. Thanks, guys, for listening.